0: Today's show is sponsored by Malwarebytes, modern cybersecurity that eliminates the online threats traditional security software misses. Get with the times. Get Malwarebytes for business. Learn more at malwarebytes.com. That's malware b y t e s.com. Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Thursday, April 9th. In today's news, Joe Biden is the presumptive Democratic nominee after Bernie Sanders drops out. Democrats clash with President Trump over more money for small businesses. And doctors and nurses face growing abuse and attacks around the world. But first, the big idea. In February, family members gathered for a funeral in Chicago. A family friend who had been out of state attended and was just a bit sick with some mild respiratory symptoms. Before long, 16 people between the ages of 5 and 86 had been infected with the coronavirus, and three had died. A case study published last night by the CDC is one of the most detailed looks at how COVID-19 moves through communities. It shows how a single person, any one of us, can set off a chain reaction of infections. The transmissions, traced to a funeral and birthday party held three days apart, took place before major social distancing policies were implemented, and may have facilitated transmission of COVID-19 to the broader Chicago community, now a hotspot reading the CDC report is like watching the movie Contagion. The report opens the night before the funeral. The traveling friend, Patient Zero, shared a takeout meal eaten from common serving dishes with two family members of the deceased person at their home. The meal lasted about three hours. Then, at the funeral, Patient Zero hugged the friends who had been at the dinner and other family members to express condolences. Two days later, one of the dinner hosts showed symptoms of the coronavirus. Two days after that, the other host got sick too. A third family member who had hugged patient zero at the funeral also got badly sick. Around the same time, patient zero, who was then still experiencing very mild symptoms, attended a birthday party with nine other people. They hugged and shared food and stayed at the party for three hours seven of the attendees soon became ill within a week of the onset of symptoms the condition of the first dinner host deteriorated the person was hospitalized put on a ventilator and died another family member visited the dying dinner host at the hospital and not wearing any personal protective equipment hugged them to say goodbye three days later that person developed a fever and a cough too Meanwhile, two of the birthday party attendees became critically ill and were put on ventilators. Both have now died. The five others experienced mild symptoms of cough and low-grade fever and are expected to make it through. While one of the critically ill patients was hospitalized, a family member and a home care professional went to visit that person and developed COVID-19. The visiting family member, in turn, transmitted it to a household contact, Then three of the birthday party attendees went to church six days after developing their first symptoms. Someone else who went to that church sat one row in front of them for 90 minutes, passed the offering plate, said hi after the service, and got the coronavirus. That person has now passed it on to others. This is why social distancing matters. And it's why we need to avoid gatherings with multiple people, even if we're healthy. It's hard not to hug people, especially during this holiest week. Six feet, as I've said, has never felt so far. But without a vaccine, it's the only way right now that we can flatten the curve and save lives. In New Orleans, Mardi Gras accelerated the transmissions. Outbreaks have also been traced to a French ski resort and an Italian soccer game. As of this morning, the coronavirus has killed about 15,000 Americans, and we now have 431,000 confirmed cases here. Globally, there are 89,000 confirmed deaths and 1.5 million cases. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar. Number one, Bernie Sanders ended his campaign yesterday. He spoke privately to Joe Biden and pledged his support to the former vice president, although he said he will remain on primary ballots in an effort to collect enough delegates to influence the platform in negotiations this summer. Then in an interview on Stephen Colbert's show last night, Sanders praised Biden but said he hopes to move him farther to the left. President Trump's campaign greeted the end of the Democratic primary with conflicting messages. Biden became the nominee, they argued, because he was the choice of the establishment, And that establishment disrespected the populist movement behind Sanders. But Biden also pulled it off, they said, because he wholeheartedly embraced the far-left policies of the anti-establishment, Sanders, and is indistinguishable from the self-described socialist. Trump's campaign manager said yesterday that Bernie and Biden are both the exact same. The comments from Trump and his campaign underscore how they plan to begin the general election by running two distinct campaigns against Biden— One is a competition for the ideological center of the country, run through the tony, tax-skeptical suburbs of key swing states that rejected the GOP in the 2018 midterms. The second is a fight for the mostly working-class populism of the left, which has rejected the establishment politics of both parties. Number two, the big story in Washington today is a showdown on Capitol Hill. The Trump administration's demand for $250 billion in new funding for small businesses has provoked a standoff with congressional Democrats who rejected a no-strings-attached request and made an expensive counteroffer of their own. Senate Republicans and Democrats today plan to bring competing measures to the floor, virtually ensuring that neither measure will pass. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and Senate Minority Leader Chuck Schumer say any package that includes $250 billion in new funding for small businesses also needs to include billion in extra money for hospitals, state and local governments, and food stamp recipients. Republicans say that's a non-starter. They don't want to give any more money to those things right now. The White House wanted the Senate to vote on the measure today by unanimous consent and the House to then pass it tomorrow. But they're refusing to even negotiate about it with Democrats, and Democrats say they're not just going to roll over. Meanwhile, the president is preparing to announce later today a second coronavirus task force. This one is going to focus exclusively on combating the economic ramifications of the virus and reopening the economy. The task force will be made up of a mix of private sector and top administration officials, including the new chief of staff, Mark Meadows, who started last week, as well as Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin and National Economic Advisor Larry Kudlow. Number three, in the West from New York to London and Los Angeles. Healthcare workers are earning standing ovations, and they're being treated as heroes, which they are, for the long, life-risking hours they're putting in to battle the coronavirus and save us. But in other parts of the world, the doctors trying to save lives face discrimination and even attacks, In Mexico, Colombia, India, the Philippines, and other third-world countries, people terrified by the highly infectious virus are lashing out at the people trying to save them, kicking medical professionals off buses, evicting them from apartments, even dousing them with water mixed with chlorine. The culprits are a minority of these populations, but Mexican state authorities are so worried that they've arranged special buses for nurses. Last week, Philippine President Rodrigo Duarte, ordered police to protect health workers after a spike in assaults, including one in which someone splashed bleach in a hospital employee's face. In the UK, though, more than 750,000 regular people have answered their country's call to help the National Health Service. That's four times the size of the British Armed Forces. Britain hasn't seen such a surge in volunteers since World War II, when the country pulled together in a way Still remembered with immense pride. Now, more than 60,000 of their countrymen have tested positive for the coronavirus, and the Prime Minister himself is on oxygen today in an ICU. Michael Hayes, 55, is a taxi driver who has joined the volunteer army and is awaiting his first official assignment. It's like Dunkirk, but on land. In the meantime, he's spending five hours a day for no pay driving healthcare staffers to And from work, from Newham University Hospital in least East London, Michael says he does it because that's where his three children were born, and he wants to give back. Meanwhile, here in the United States, ninety thousand medical workers have volunteered to help New York hospitals, but only seven thousand of them have been put to work. Every day, he goes online and checks his messages again and again, and every day it's been the same: no response. George Winehouse, a 67-year-old retired anesthesiologist, answered the call weeks ago for volunteers with medical experience to help New York weather its worst pandemic since 1918. But even as the crisis approaches its peak in New York, which remains the front line of this invisible enemy's vicious attack on our country, straining the medical system like no other previous disaster, George is still waiting. Hospitals are prioritizing certain specialties more than others, according to the state health department, and government officials say a state database created for the effort compiles and automatically vets volunteers and checks their professional licenses, but individual hospitals are responsible for requesting and assigning staff, along with training and determinations for shifts and compensation. But a lot of the volunteers we heard from yesterday say they're willing to work for free and perform any task. They're just desperate to roll up their sleeves and get in the fight. Finally, To wrap up today, I want to give you an update on the sad saga of Li Wenliang. He was the whistleblower who worked in the Wuhan Central Hospital and saw the first cases of the coronavirus. He realized immediately that it was worse than SARS, but when he tried to warn his superiors, they told him to shut up and keep quiet about it. So he went on social media and warned people about what was happening. Then he was arrested for it, he was imprisoned, and he was forced to sign a false confession saying he'd made it all up, that he was being overly alarmist, and that the people were not in danger. Then he went back to work at the hospital, got the virus, and died. I devoted this entire podcast back on February 7th to Dr. Lee. That was two months ago, but boy, doesn't it feel like two years When the people of Wuhan and elsewhere across China have wanted to share their lockdown anxiety, seek advice, or simply vent against the Communist Party, many have turned to the Wuhan hero. In recent weeks, homebound internet users have left hundreds of thousands of messages to the man they now call Brother Liang, or sometimes Old Li, as comments under Li's final post on Weibo, the popular Chinese social media platform, their Twitter in tones both casual and intensely personal, they've used Lee as a kind of a silent confidant, a therapist, and a muse. More often, users have dropped by the chain of messages on Lee's account, known by Chinese fans as Lee's tree cave, just to say they've been thinking about the martyred physician, or to note that they've finished work for the day. Others have left deeply personal updates. Their sleep is slowly improving. Their spirits are holding up, and the flowers outside are beginning to bloom again. And that's The Daily 202 for Thursday, April 9th. Thanks for listening. I'm James Homan. Stay safe. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Today's show is sponsored by Malwarebytes, modern cybersecurity that eliminates the online threats traditional security software misses. Get with the times. Get Malwarebytes for business. Learn more at Malwarebytes.com. That's Malwarebytes.com.